I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6 with me this morning. We're going to be looking at what I call the basics of God's covenants with men. And this passage that we are going to read is one of the great passages on this subject, the subject of God's covenants with men. What I would like you to note as we read this passage is how the author of this letter looks back and looks forward. Um, you might say better. He looks back and he looks at the present. What God did with Abraham and what God does with us. It's very important. Very important principles about God's covenant dealings with men. So, we'll start reading in 6.13 to the end of the chapter. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hope of the, to take hold of the hope set before us. And this hope we have as an anchor of the soul a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Let's once again ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, we thank you for the Lord's Day. Thank you for the gathering of the people. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We crave his presence as we have prayed that you would help us open our eyes, help us to see the truth of your word, grant it in greater and greater clarity for us, and grant that we may have strong assurance in your grace and promises. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our subject this morning is God's covenants with men. I was converted in 1968. That's a long time ago. There are a couple of people here probably weren't born yet. Uh, most of you were. The church I was part of enjoyed many blessings from God, but astute doctrine was not one of them. The people among whom I was saved were not people who had a 
good grasp on the contents of their Bible. Certain things they knew very well, and they were a sincere people, for which I thank God. We sang a song from time to time with the word covenant in it. It goes like this. It's on page 488 in our hymnal. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. I didn't know a lot about the Bible at all. So I didn't know what a covenant was. The word sounded good. But I had no idea what that word meant. And I don't know anybody in that church who really knew that either. We were singing something we really didn't understand. That's not, that's not good for your heart and it's not good for your religion. But in the, the goodness of God, I was guided to a church where the word was understood. And I learned about God's covenants. So today, I want to open up this subject, God's covenants with men to the best of my ability. I've read many pages and had many discussions on this subject. It is both difficult and wonderful. Difficult, it's gonna, it's gonna challenge our minds, but it's also wonderful and it will enrich our souls. If we just think about what we read and these verses where the writer looks back to God's promises to Abraham and says, on the basis of these things, we have great hope, great assurance. So the payoff for uh, bending our minds onto this subject is great. Now I'm going to be taking this subject for the whole time that I have the privilege of teaching this hour. So we have seven weeks besides today. Uh, and we're going to spend those seven weeks seeking to get a grasp on God's covenants with men. So I hope by the time we're done, you'll be able to say, I have an understanding of this important doctrine and principle that I have never had before. It is, it's been good for my soul. Frank DeWana says, it has been good for my soul, enriching to my faith. And that's what I want for you. We're going to take our time. And you may say to yourself, well, it's, it's, I'm, I'm getting little grasps. But be patient. God will teach us. We'll look at his word. And we'll learn together. First of all, we're going to start with a biblical definition of the word covenant. A biblical definition of the word covenant. And a couple of things here. I, I want to point out that there's a translation problem with this word. There is one word in the Hebrew. I don't often quote Hebrew words to you, but it's the word berith. In the Old Testament, the word berith is used for God's covenants. B-E-R-I-T-H. And in the Greek, the word is diatheke, D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E. This is the word, the word, which is used in the Old Testament, New Testament, diatheke, for this thing. But it is translated in two different words. And one of the challenges I always, when I come here, I always look at my King James, as well as my 
favored New American Standard, and I notice the way the words are translated. I often, I often point this out for your benefit. So sometimes the word, uh, these words are translated testament, and sometimes they are translated covenant. There's only one word translated two possible way, ways, and I'll explain as we go on uh, why we have the word testament in some places and covenant in more places. One of my disappointments in the, in the reading I have done, chapter after chapter, book after book about this subject, is the absence of a clear, convincing definition. Now, there are some books that have a decent approach to definition, uh, but it's not true of all. You can pick up, pick up a book about covenant and you can read cover to cover and never come away with a clear understanding. What does the word mean? It would seem to me that when I start talking about a word, especially one that is not common to the modern vocabulary, that I would define it. But my frustration is many times authors go on and on and they don't define it. Well, I won't let that happen to us this morning. Great Commission's publication put out a catechism for young children and uh, in, in the history of doctrine, uh, their definition was embraced by most. Uh, they have a question for children, mind you, question 22, what is a covenant? And the answer in their catechism is an agreement between two or more persons. That fits well when you're dealing with covenants between a man and a man. Take Jacob and Laban. They had a covenant. It was an agreement with sworn promise that was their covenant. It doesn't fit many of the uses as we will see. There's an author by the name of O. Palmer Robertson, very learned man, The Christ of the Covenants is his book. And he writes that a covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. So here are two commonly embraced definitions of covenant, which I suggest are not the best. That's why, that's why, one of the reasons why I am ambitious to cover this subject for you, because a lot of stuff in which you're written, the, the, uh, the definitions don't really fit the biblical data. Covenants in the Bible have various elements, various elements. It's like a car, especially a, one of the more modern cars. You get a car and it's got four wheels and it's got, it's got a steering wheel. It's got some way of supplying power so the wheels turn, you have brakes, but different cars have different things. All the cars don't have the same thing. Covenants are like that. Covenants are somewhat customized by God, especially the covenants between God and man. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna look a little bit at the people with whom God made covenants and with the features of those covenants to arrive at a basic definition of covenant. Um, I'm going to list the people with whom God made covenant. 
And again, among authors, there are differences of opinion about who God made covenants with. But again, we're going to look at the Bible. We're not going to guess. We're going to look at the Bible for direct, explicit information. Who, with whom has God made covenants? The first place which uh, where God made a covenant that is explicit in the Bible. Okay, it's not a guess. It's not trying to piece together pieces of a puzzle and oh, I, then I have a covenant. No, we're going to look at direct statements of our Bible. This is the safest way to begin. So, who are the people, who are the men, you might start in your own mind, compiling a list. Who are the men with whom God made covenant? The first man with whom God made a covenant was Noah. The Bible directly asserts that God made covenant with Noah. At the end of the flood, God made covenant. Now, the covenant actually began to be established and God revealed it in pieces, if I may, before the flood, but especially after the flood. God made a covenant with Noah. And the, the great passage is not in Genesis, but is in Isaiah. In Isaiah, I believe it's 5411, if my memory serves me correctly, God said, this is like the waters of Noah to me when I swore that I would not flood the earth again, paraphrase. So God made covenant with Noah. The Bible's very clear. God made covenant with Abraham, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made promise to Abraham. That's what we read in Hebrews chapter 6. So it's no, no guesswork here. The Bible says it. God made covenant with Abraham and then same covenant with Isaac and Jacob. And then he made a covenant, and this is one that many people miss, with Phineas. Remember Phineas, the priest who saw an Israelite man go in with a pagan woman and he put a spear through both of them. And God swore to Phineas that his children would be God's priests. That's Phineas. That's the one covenant most people miss. But then God made covenant with Moses and Israel. Multiple covenants, actually, the Bible makes it clear. Covenants with Moses and Israel, through Moses. Then God made covenant with David. Psalm 89 is the key text there. And then he made a covenant with Jesus and with us. Jesus and believers. Those are the covenants that are clear cut. You can't go wrong. If you remember, these are God's covenants with men. These are the men with whom God made sworn oaths. Now, that's this is part of our definition. We're, we're coming to a definition. We're going to get there in a moment. But there are, there are features to covenants. So all this is definition. There are features to covenant. Like I said, cars have common features, but some cars have features that other cars do not. So it is with covenants. Some covenants, all covenants have a certain feature. I'm going to get there. Uh, all covenants have a certain feature. That's the root. That's the bottom. That's the foundation of covenant. That's the essence of covenant. But covenants get enlarged and they, they get 
other features. Let me explain a little bit of what I mean. Many covenants involve sacrifice. You may remember in Genesis 15 that Abraham was directed by God to cut animals in half. And then the torch and the oven passed through. And those were sacrifices. There were sacrifices to covenants. So the Abrahamic covenant. Noah made a sacrifice, which Genesis tells us God smelled and he blessed them. So there were sacrifices in the Noahic covenant, in Abraham, uh, in the Mosaic covenant, uh, but not in the Davidic covenant. If you read carefully, I think it's 2 Samuel 7. You'll see that God makes a promise to David, but there's no covenant. There's no covenant sacrifice. It happens in the temple, it's true, but there's no covenant sacrifice for the, the covenant with David. So, that's one feature of covenants. Another feature of covenants is promise. Promise and oath. Twin, uh, twin features of covenants. God swore to, Ab to Noah that the water would not flood the earth again. He swore to Abraham that he would give him land, that he would give him seed, and that he would give him blessing. Those are the three promises of the Abrahamic covenant. Land, seed, blessing. God made promise to Israel through Moses. One of the things, and this is common to many of the covenants, I will be their God they will be my people. Then God made promise to David. David said, I'll build you a house. God said, oh, no, no, I'm building you a house, David. And you will always have a man to sit on your throne, the throne of your kingdom, and your kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. So that's God's uh, promise to David. Then God makes promise to Jesus. I would love to give you a quiz and ask you where the promise to Jesus is. But I'm going to tell you Psalm 110 verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That is the promise to Jesus. And that promise is the basis of all the promises that we receive in the new covenant. Jesus is our great high priest. And all of the promises that come to us, come to us through him, because God swore to Jesus, and therefore we get God's promises to us. So those are some of the elements. There's promise and there's oath. Let me make one more point so that you're not misdirected. All covenants have promises and oaths. Some promises are not covenants. I'll give you one example. Uh, God made a promise to Abraham about Ishmael. You may remember. God made promises of land, seed, and blessing. They were sworn with an oath, Hebrews chapter 6. But, you know, Abraham had trouble believing like we sometimes do. 
And he said, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. Now, God promised Abraham something at that point. He said, I'm going to bless Ishmael as well. But that was not an oath sworn promise. That was an ordinary promise. It was not a covenant promise. So there are promises which are not covenants, but all covenants have promises. Okay. Then there are uh, sacraments and covenants. Not all covenants have sacraments. The sacraments of covenant with uh, Moses and Israel were the Passover and circumcision. But some covenants, like the Davidic covenant, don't have any sacraments. There's no sacrament connected with the promise to David. Um, the new covenant, of course, has two sacraments, the baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then there are also tokens, sometimes tokens of covenants. Now, today, if the sun peeks through, we may see a token of a covenant. I saw it just a couple of weeks ago. In the sky, it's a rainbow. That's the token of the covenant God made with Noah. It was a covenant token. God says, you're going to see that boat in the cloud, and I'm going to look at it. And he, oh, he doesn't say it this way. You're going to look at it, too. People see it. They, oh, it's very pretty. It's a covenant token. Then there are laws and curses. Laws and curses. The Noahic Covenant, for example, has the law. It says, he who sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And God says, not only am I going to require the life of man from every other man, I'm going to require it from the animals as well. Amazing. But there it is in the Noahic Covenant. There are laws and there are curses. And if I may say so, even in the New Covenant, there are laws and curses. So those are the features. And we're getting very close now to our definition. I want you to think with me which features are common to all covenants because that's when we get the boiled down essence. The central thing in covenants. The common feature Covenants is oath-sworn promises. This is when God makes a promise and he strengthens that promise with an oath. That's what we read in Hebrews 6. God has two things in which it is impossible for God to lie. God made promise to Abraham. And you know what happened with Abraham. Abraham said, what are you going to give me since I have no heir? Abraham had a hard time believing. And God said, okay, Abraham, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to promise you an heir, which he already did. But then I'm going to swear with an oath. You see, that was meant to address the reluctance of Abraham to believe the promise. And that's what the writer to Hebrew says. Men swear, verse 16, 616. Men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath is give, given as confirmation as an end of every dispute. 
So my friend, when I was a little boy, my friend said, well, you know, if you, uh, if you help me with my lawn, I'm going to give you five bucks. Eh, yeah, you ain't got five bucks. Where are you going to get five bucks? And I tell my friend, I don't, I don't believe you. I'm not going to go do that work and sweat and then have nothing to show for it at the end. He said, look, I swear. And they said st stupid things like, I swear on my mother's grave. We said, I swear to God. That is what the right to Hebrew says. Men swear by one greater than themselves. There's something sacred. There's something important they swear by. And an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. Now, we boys, we're not very good at keeping our promises. But God never fails to keep his promises. And what he does, he doesn't need to do. I was talking to June about this. And she said, why does God need to swear? Not for himself. All he has to do is say he's going to do it. All he has to do is promise. And it's as good as done. But God sees our weakness. Think about Think about Noah and the people, the seven other people who went on the ark. It's kind of like 9-11 when the Twin Towers fell. Every time we heard a plane in the sky, we said, what's going on here? Is this another attack? Well, think about the people in Noah's day who saw a whole generation destroyed by the flood. Every time there was a thunderclap, they said, oh no, what's happening now? And God swore that he would not flood the earth again. So every time they heard a thunderclap, every time they saw the rainbow, oh yeah, that's right, God promised he swore with an oath. So that was the confirmation, you see. And that is the essence of a covenant. A covenant is an oath-sworn promise. It's a promise strengthened with an oath. And God does it not because he needs to do it for himself. He does it for us. He does it for the weakness and unbelief of man. I have four minutes. So let's look at just a few verses. And I'll try to wrap this up in the next four minutes. We'll go back to Genesis chapter 9. I hope what has been said so far has been helpful to you. We have a long, a long way to go over the next weeks. Genesis chapter 9. Chapter starts with God's blessing of Noah and his sons, and he reestablishes the mandate from creation, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And then God says, you mustn't eat the flesh with the blood. That's the one of the commandments of the Noahic covenant. And then the law of uh, a capital punishment, verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood, Man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. 
Then God spoke to Noah and to his son with him, saying, Now behold, I myself establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. So this covenant is made through Noah, with Noah, with his family, and with all succeeding generations. We are experiencing the Noahic covenant. We're part of that covenant. It's for us. And with every living thing which is with you, birds, cattle, every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, every beast of the earth, I will establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood, neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. And then he gives the sign of the covenant, the token of the covenant, the rainbow. Now, turn over to Isaiah 54. That's a good text in, in Genesis 9. But Isaiah 54 gives us a little bit more detail that helps us understand what a covenant is. Isaiah 54, verse 9. Now this is very interesting because this follows Isaiah 53 where the suffering servant of Jehovah gives his life for his people. And what, what does all this mean? It means blessing for us. It means redemption for us. And then in Isaiah 54, 9, for this is like the days of Noah to me. What did you, in the days of Noah, he made a covenant. And what was that covenant? Uh, when I swore that the, war, that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again, so I have sworn to you that I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. God has made old sworn promise to his people. That's at the very heart of covenant. That's, that's the boiled down essence of a covenant. Is an oath sworn promise to give assurance. When believers sin, to put it this way, and I'm going to wrap up here. When believers sin and their consciences sting them, and you say, I have no answer for my sin. God's oath sworn promise is the answer to your sin and to your need. That's the new covenant. His promise through Jesus Christ to forgive the sins of his people. Well, that's, that's just a start. We have a long way to go. We'll come back to this in future weeks. Let's give thanks to God. Amen. Father, we are thankful that you love us so much despite our many sins, our weaknesses and frailties and our needs, you are faithful to your promise and your oath. Continue to teach us and guide us. Keep us from error on the right, right hand and on the left. In Jesus' name, amen.